everybody. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Titus in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2, page 845 in the church Bibles. We're going to read a short passage. I'm going to give you just a brief introduction, and then we're going to get right at it. Um, So we've been inviting Teen Challenge for a number of years, and we have two services, and traditionally done the same sermon each service, and I've always felt kind of creepy about that. So what I did was this week I had the opportunity to go to a local community college in Itasca County, and I gave a talk. What happened was there was a dinner. It was called Dining in the Dark, and the whole bent of the evening was to um, you eat blindfolded, and you don't know who you're eating with, and you're a group, group setting, and the whole bent was to try to just understand how um, judgmental we can be with our eyes. And um, it, it worked itself to expose, like, discrimination, um, bigotry, racism, all those things. It was a good night, and at the end of the night, I was able to do a talk from the Bible. And so I thought, why not do it here? So it's the first service will be a little different than the second. And if you're disappointed <laughs> and you're like, I wish I could hear the second, there's two things you can do. You can listen online, or you can invite me to your house. And I would be, give me a Coke and a smile, and I'll, I'll do it there too. So, all right. <laughs> well, let's, let's do this. Uh, let me pray and give you a brief bio of me, and then we'll get right at it. So, Father, we, we thank you uh, sincerely for the opportunity that we have been given to do two things, to hear from you, from your people, um, to sing your praise, and now to hear from you, from your word. And we'll just take a moment to pray for Dusty. Uh, we thank you for his testimony, and God, uh, when he said that he lost 10 years, we thank you that your specialty is that you can restore the year, uh, years that the locust has stolen, as you say in your Old Testament. So will you do that for Dusty and his family, what was lost in those 10 years? Give it back to him in spades. And then we pray for Josh and for Travis, and it's so nice to hear that Travis was with his daughter and, and be able to dance with his daughter. And so we pray that that arrangement will be part and parcel of his life, that he'll be restored back to his family, that he'll be reconciled with them, and they'll, and they'll grow old together, God. And to that same end, Josh and his family. Um, all the difficulties that happen, we pray that um, forgiveness would run rich, the power of Christ deep, and that you would help them, God, in every way, to do what only you can do. Now, God, when I talk, I know I need your help. And so uh, I can't do anything as I should without your help. And so we pray to that end now. Amen. Quickly, I'm from South Florida. I'm the youngest of eight children. Uh, I married and met my wife in Austin, Texas. Um, Next month, we'll be married for 27 years. We have two kids. I have a son who is, Lord willing, is going to graduate from the University of Illinois this spring and I have a daughter who's a freshman at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Um, I really like being a husband and dad. I don't think I'm especially good at either one, uh, but I do like it. I think it's a privilege. I've been in pastoral ministry for 20 years, and I've been here locally for nine. Um, I, I, really, I really like living in Grand Rapids. So um, I thank God for that. So, so the meal... 
as I said, was to expose, deal with, recognize the potential that we have for racism, uh, sexism, discrimination, prejudice, bigotry. In a, in a phrase, it's generally the mistreatment of human beings made in God's image. So, image. so what I want to try to do is, from the Bible, um, say that the, the God who made the world would be tracking right alongside this, uh, the, the intention of that meal to expose these horrible things and to say something about them. And the only addition that I would say is that the medicine that we need for the infection of the sin of racism, sexism, discrimination, prejudice, bigotry, ageism, can only arise and only can be maintained through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that he is our only hope in life and in death. That's what I hope to do. So if your Bible's open to Titus, um, you'll see there in Titus chapter 3, Remind the people to be subject to rulers, verse 1, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. And here we are, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility towards all men. Literally, it's, in the Greek, it's pas anthropos, all humanity. Okay? And I'm just going to read one verse from um, Isaiah 11. It's a prophecy about Jesus And this is the kind of way that Jesus operates. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Okay. So the one God that Christians hold to uh, is good. And what he says about the human predicament and the need to be rescued from the human predicament is true and rational. Uh, God wars against uh, bigotry and racism and sexism and ageism and all those prejudices. And, and I would bet my life that um, he would love for a sermon like this to be preached because he would tell us that all those things are terrible and these are flaws and we can't fix ourselves. And since our eternal destiny is at stake, we, we have this great need of a Savior to be for us and to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And of course, God has given that in Jesus. So we've got four words. In fact, if you've got a worship folder, you'll see them. There's history, reality, theology, and personally. Okay? And we're just going to track through those in the time that we have. Okay, the first thing is history, is in world history. And what I want you to see is some of the biggest moments in Christian world history, there is one underlying theme. Let me give you some examples. For instance, the beginning of the world, a really big moment, right? At the beginning, this is what God said. Let us make man and women, human beings, in our image, make them male and female in our image. Let them reflect our nature. Now, that means a lot of things, but it means at least two things. One, everybody counts. Everybody matters to the highest degree. So when Titus was told by Paul, teach the church, show true humility to all people, he meant all people. That being made in God's image, there is a divine spark in everyone from every place, and that is to be honored, and that is to be recognized, and that is to be respected. That is the Christian doctrine of human dignity. That we are our brothers and sisters keepers. Every person, no matter race, no matter their face, no matter their age, preference, it doesn't matter. They are made in God's image. Therefore, 
They have incalculable worth. And we must honor that. And we must live within that framework. That's the first thing. The second thing is that when God made human beings, he made men and he made women absolutely equal in status, equal in standing, equal in prominence, equal in importance. There's a comedian named George Carlin, and he said, men are from earth, women are from earth, deal with it. (laughs) He's right. Now, you know and I know that we haven't got those things right in society. We haven't got them right in the church, and we haven't got them right in the home. Doesn't matter. From the beginning, the triune God who made the world and everything in it, his intention was, since everyone is made in my image, Men and women are equal before me. They have the same status. They have the same prominence. And they have the same importance and value. And by the way, everyone else does as well. Now, a man and woman's function may be different in society. We can talk about that in another time. But when it comes to equality, there is no difference. And God says live within that framework. Okay, that's the beginning of the world. Okay, how about another big moment that when Jesus Christ comes onto the scene and he gives his message to the world. And what was Christ's message to the world? It was just that. It was to the whole world. And what did Jesus say? Everybody in the world, okay, he was operating under the conviction that men and women are the same and all men and women have collapsed from God's intention, and so they have rejected God's intention at creation, and therefore they have sinned against the holy God, and our condition is terminal, and it is hopeless if left to ourselves. Thus, Jesus would preach, you need me. You need me bad. So Jesus said things like, God loves the world, and in me, Jesus, the time has arrived. Everybody, all men, all women, everyone need to repent and believe the good news. Right? Everyone has sinned. Everybody must repent and believe. There's no favoritism there. Everyone sinned. Everyone needs to repent and believe in me. So on one occasion, Jesus said um, to show people their sin, he goes, look, when you give a party, don't invite your, just just invite your friends. Uh, Don't just invite your own people. No, he said, rather invite the injured, the disfigured, the poor, the disabled, the impaired, the prostitute, the lost. Invite, quote, and this is in quotes, really, really bad people. Because at the time, a good religious person was being taught that you need to stay away from those kind of people. Get far, far away from them. And they were said, look, if you're going to be good with God, don't hang around those kind of, quote, people. Those kind of people will, quote, rub off on you. And it's going to be terrible. And God's going to be ticked. Now, if you think about it, that could be lessons from some churches. It's a horrible lesson. But still, another example they were taught Um, hate your enemies, Matthew 5, and love your friends. And Jesus was like, who said that? So because everyone has the same status and prominence before God, God shows no favoritism. That's Acts chapter 10. Who are we to make distinctions in our treatment of others when God's intention at first and in Christ was nothing near this? But we know that we do. And because we do, this is part of the reason why Jesus Christ has to step into the stage of human history and says, look, everybody, everybody needs to repent. The world as God has made it is not the world as we have it. And God's purpose was through Jesus 
listen carefully, was to begin to restore things back to the way they used to be. And what was the way they used to be? Everybody is made in my image. Total equality, total acceptance, divine spark in everyone. Beginning of the world, the beginning of Christ's message. Here's another beginning, the beginning of the church at Pentecost. And on that day, remember, this is Acts 2, the message of the gospel was heard by every it was heard by the people in, in every language. Right? That was kind of the miracle of Pentecost. Every language. Why? To give us a future picture of what is coming. That God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. He wants everybody from every nation, from every persuasion, from every sexual preference to come to the end of themselves and see their need of Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, can you think of Anything of greater dignity, worth, or even self-esteem that at the beginning of the church, God's gift to her was to say that the same Spirit of God who filled Jesus overflowing in his earthly ministry now lives in you, Christian. The felt presence of God in everybody who has cast themselves on the mercy of God. Which person... uh, Josh, you said, I think you said, maybe it was Dusty. I said, I just cast myself on the mercy of the court. And I'm like, there you go. There you go. We're all equal. Equal at the foot of the cross. That's never going to change. That's the gospel. That's good news. That's what Jesus was proclaiming. And God accepts those who look for mercy and he rejects those who exalt themselves. Uh, This is the difference between uh, Christianity and religion. This is the difference between the kind of cultural Christianity, kind of the cable news network Christianity and biblical Christianity. This is the difference between conservative Christianity and liberal Christianity. There's just one Christianity and and Jesus would come and just put aside uh, the elitism that we might infect be infected with, and he says, look at my son. There he is, your savior. Now, when he rescues you, you show true humility towards all people. And you see, bigotry and discrimination and racism and sexism, ageism, at its core is one human being exalting themselves over another, and God says, I will have no part of that. And he'll judge that. Now, as you think, some of the main and plain messages, instructions to the Christian from God's word says things like this. What we just read, in humility, think of others better than yourselves. That's Philippians 2. Don't just look to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Show no favoritism. That's uh, James, right? So if Bill Gates comes into your church, uh, Tom Cruise comes into your church, a Kardashian comes into your church, don't pay special attention to them, right? Say Bill and Tom, and I don't even know their names, their first names, their last names. Ladies, have a Coke and a smile, and just sit down with the rest of us. No discrimination. Also, Be considerate. We just read and show true humility to all people. James again, there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge and it is God. That's our first point, history. The God of the Bible wills from the beginning. This is where we're headed in heaven. No no bigotry, total equality, no racism, discrimination, and on and on. And that calls for honesty and also calls for reality. And that's our second word. 
And reality, I'm going to suggest, is the world as God made it is not the world as we have it. So there's three groups. There's there's the Christian church, followers of Christ. There's religious people from all the different religions. And and there's secular people. And the reality is, look, get a good history book. Read your newspapers. Read the Bible and see if what I'm going to tell you is true. Each group, the Christian church, a religious uh, people, whatever religion, secular people, they have failed miserably in their attempts for equality. Now, do each have moments when they get it right? Absolutely. Do we have pockets of society who often get it right? Absolutely. But do we all always get it right? No, we don't. And don't you want everybody to enjoy equality? Don't we? Don't we want all moments in all pockets of the world getting it right? God does. The very nature of the stance of equality is an equality for all. No discrimination ever. No sexism, racism, ageism, bigotry ever. No violence against people because they're different ever. But in Christian history, in history of other religions... And in the history of the secular world, those who hate Christ, opposed to him, each one have failed miserably. So I want you to see that surely the message of the Bible, surely the message of the gospel, any rational person would agree. It's the doctrine of original sin. Which says, we do not have to learn how to do evil. We, we do not have to learn how to be bigots. It just comes naturally. We don't have to learn. We don't have to have special classes to learn how to discriminate. It just comes by nature. In fact, it's actually the reverse, right? We need to be taught how to cease to be that way. G.K. Chesterton, a, a, a good Catholic, listen to what he said. The traveler, when thinking about the world, the traveler sees what he sees. The tourist sees what, what he wants to see. Be a traveler. See things as they are. The best of men and women. The best of men and women are men at best. Or men and women at best. Takes us to our third point. Okay, so we've got history, reality, theology. And, and so it's not too difficult to see the flaws in ourselves and in others. Whether we be Christian or not. Christians are taught we glory in Christ. And we put no confidence in the flesh. We don't boast in ourselves. We put all our boasting in Jesus. He is our confidence to be and do what we need. So the cry of the human heart has to be before a holy God. Jesus, if everything you're saying is true, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help us? There is a Jesus Christ. He preached himself to show how through his death on the cross and only through his death on the cross, a holy God can finally be reconciled to bigots. And racist, sinful men and women turn in upon themselves. Jesus Christ is the only one to pay a debt he didn't owe, sin, so that we could have a grace and a standing with God and a relationship with God that we do not deserve. And of course, we extend that grace to others. Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, to be Christian means to forgive the indefensible of others because God has forgiven the indefensible in you. John Stott, he's a, he died a few years ago, pastor, author, helped me a lot in my ministry but through his books. He talks about tolerance, and he says, listen, 
the Christian needs to understand there are some good tolerances. And this is what he says. First, legal tolerance, which ensures that we want to live in a world where minority views, minority religious political rights, they have a right to exist. They need to be protected in the law. Right? That is obviously right. We don't want to be the kind of people that says, well, if you don't believe like we believe, then you're dead. That's some countries in the Middle East. Legal tolerance. Social tolerance, which encourages us to live in the world. This is 1 Timothy 2. Live in the world. We respect all people. We, we pray for all people. We try to understand the way people think that are different than us. Every human being made in God's image bears his image and we are meant to live together in peace. So we do not go to war over, over things, of, of, uh, things of the flesh, if you would. Legal tolerance, social tolerance, but here's the only difference. We can't have intellectual tolerance. Intellectual tolerance. And what that means is we can't say that every opinion, without ever detecting anything in its voice, we can't say that we can tolerate every opinion, that everything is ultimately true, uh, that every virtue is ultimately right. It's the, uh, it's the vice of the feeble mind, which means Christians who believe that truth and goodness have been revealed in Christ We can't possibly come to terms with the idea that everybody is right in their own way. That's it. That's it. That's fair. Legal tolerance, yes. Social tolerance, absolutely. Intellectual tolerance, no way. Final point, history, reality, theology, personally. So I hope you're seeing that the ability to enjoy God lies with our ability to say that, yeah, we are sinners, period, every one of us. And it comes to our mind from the Bible that the judgment is a real thing. The judgment on sin is not fantasy, it's reality, it's coming. It's, it's a good and right judgment because God cares about justice, right? So if you care about justice, you should be glad that there's a day coming when everything will be set right, How big your sin is, how real the judgment is, and then how big the death of Jesus Christ is in his mighty resurrection. Because that's the only thing that can bring our acceptance to God, to pay the debt that we owe. The Christian message has always been, and you know, we, we veer off from it so often, but this is at its core. Christ will return. He's going to set everything right and in the life to come. Now think about this. This is, this is heaven, okay? In the life to come, no one will ever be mistreated again. No one will ever be discriminated against again. Nobody will be touched the wrong way. Nobody, nobody will be in a conversation where they are uncomfortable and they're too weak to get themselves out of that position. And so we ask God to hasten that day. God created the world for his glory. God created people for himself. Since we live and move by God, we ought to live and move for God. And the whole of the ministry of Jesus Christ lies in the fact that this world is broken, 
that we are broken, that I am broken, and the day of judgment, God will take account. And Jesus Christ is the only plea that we have so that we can enjoy God now and enjoy him forever. One last text. It's one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible. It's Revelation 7, and it's pointing to that great and glorious day. And I just want you to pay attention when I read. John writes, And then I looked, and there before me was a great multitude of people that no one could count from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. You see, God's intention at the beginning, total equality. Through Jesus Christ, that day is coming. That day is coming. Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize your goodness. We recognize our sin. We, we ask you to be merciful because we know, God, that um, we, we are insensitive to others. We make dreadful appearances of people or judgments about their appearance, about the clothes they wear, the, the color of their skin, the shape of their body, the way they speak, the way they dress, their intellect, rich or poor, old, young. And, and so if they don't meet our standard, then we treat them either subhuman or we ignore them altogether. And we need forgiveness for that. We also need forgiveness when we just have pretend love. We wear ourselves thin for others with all kinds of acts of kindness, but deep in, hard in, you know we don't care. And so, Jesus, we thank you that if we are left to ourselves, we would be ruined. So thank you that you didn't leave us to ourselves, that on the cross you paid a debt that you didn't owe so that we could have a righteousness and eternal life that we don't deserve. And so we thank you that you are alive, that you are working through your people, that you are working in this world, and the day is coming, and everything will be set right. And God, we long for that day. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.